guys, what's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast. When you get around this time of year, I don't know if any of you are listening where there's a change of seasons in Northeast, you feel it in the atmosphere. You know, it could be an 80 degree day, but it just feels different. You know, the sun is different. The shadows are different. It's something intuitive. It's like how birds know to all of a sudden to fly south. For the winter, they don't have a they don't have a calendar. They're not wearing a watch. They don't. They just feel it. They feel it and they sense it and they call their their other bird companions to fly alongside and they make that V and they head south. In NBA brethren, the the people who cover the NBA, the people who work in the NBA, make their living with the NBA. When you start getting the emails, when, this time of year, when you start getting emails about media day and you start making plans for training camp, you feel it in the atmosphere. It's in your bones. And that's where we are right now. As we record this, as you're going to be hearing this, we're about a week away from training camp starting up. And me and Tim Cabstraw and Sarah Kustak, we sort of feel it and we just gather. We just start to gather. We're making our V. It's like we're starting to fly south. Because I can't think of anybody that knows the Nets or knows that feeling better than my partner in the last 21 years on radio, Tim Cavstraw, and Nets TV analyst, Sarah Kustak. Starting which season is this for you? Wait, I, let me count the <laughs> Emmys behind you. There's at least, no. let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five. It's at least five. I should know. Um, how many years have the Nets been in Brooklyn? Is this their 11th This year? would be the 11th season. 11th We're celebrating yes. 10 years right now. Yeah. That I line up with, I came to the Nets and to the Yes Network when the Nets came to Brooklyn. So yes. we're on track. What I do need to say, I now feel like you have let down all of the listeners because your <laughs> comparison to birds maybe had them thinking that I and Eagle was about oh, to join no, you guys. No, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh man, he's part of the. He's, he's, I thought we were getting he's birds. part of the V. He's part of the V. He's just not on this episode. I, I hope the listeners stay locked in, despite the fact that it's myself rather than Bert. <laughs> no, no. I think a lot of people are are, are very, very happy that it's you. Uh, and yeah, because we just assemble this flying formation. It, the Yes Guys and me and Capper, we, we all kind of start to just get together, start to talk about stuff, start to look forward. And, and it, this is an episode of The Voice of the Nets about looking forward. Despite like the gardeners that are working on my neighbor's lawn back there, you might be hearing some of the, the heavy equipment over my shoulder. I'm not going to look back. I'm, I'm going to look forward right now. And what I'm looking forward to right now is finally seeing, we're going to see it in training camp and practice and preseason, the combination of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. And what that means, I don't know. We, we can debate the other two positions on, on who the other two people are going to be that are going to share the floor with them. What's the best one? What do you think will be the starting combination? But that big three right now, this new big three that we, we kind of, you know, we got teased with in February. We're now going to get to see it come training camp in October. And Sarah, what do you think that trio looks like? I can't wait. I can't wait. I think all of us are anxiously anticipating what it looks like. And to me, 
when you look at those three players and the combination of their skill set, how they fit, the optionality that they give of where they can be on the floor, the spacing that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving shooting provide, all of them, their ability to handle the breakdown ability of Ben Simmons, the size he brings to the table, what he'll do on the defensive end. I just think for as much focus as there will be on so much surrounding this group, the roster, the lineups, what it's going to look like. I think when you you brought up who are those two other players, to me, that's the exciting part of how there is depth within this group and the ways in which you could fill it out, depending on matchup, depending on what you need. Uh, but you know, you got two of the all-time great skilled players, scorers in the league, those that are, you know, Kyrie Irving, a magician with the basketball in his hands, how he can create. He's a walking bucket. Kevin Durant's a walking bucket. And I think for Ben Simmons coming back and what he looks like, that's a major back surgery. And so by all accounts, it seems like he is on track and and looking good. Joe Harris being healthy, Seth Curry being healthy. The list goes on of some coming off injuries. But I think overall, you look at those big three players and how their games complement one another, they are going to be a challenge to stop on the offensive side. And Cabra, I I mean... Again, we don't know Ben Simmons physically is he's ready to go. But, I mean, you forget about what he's doing on the defensive end, because we'll get into that in a bit. Probably allow them to play a little faster. Mm, absolutely. And that's when you, well, when you remember Ben Simmons playing at his elite best. I mean, he did so many different things well. But the thing that really stood out to me or stands out to me looking back at his sixer days is the way he could just push the pace, like just get it, whether he got it himself or somebody outletted it to him. He was just out. He was up the floor. His head was up and guys were ready to receive the ball because he was unbelievable at distributing it, finding guys. If they allowed him to take it all the way to the basket, he had the capability of doing that. Uh, he is that type of tidal wave as far as just kind of getting it from defense to offense is almost like, you know, it got a little, a little of that old Jason Kidd days to it where it just kind of came off the glass and here they come. And I think that is like the unguardable part of the, the NBA's guardable, right? Everybody can guard things in the NBA. Very difficult to guard transition. And if these guys get out and up, and uh, first of all, obviously getting stops, but out and up, they are going to be so lethal, so dangerous. And he's going to be, I, I think, the, the, the guy leading it, pushing the pace and making the decisions. In the way, like, Capper, everything you're saying and see, I know you've seen this and obviously having watched him, that to me is you're describing a force and you're thinking about a force on the floor and yeah. add that along with what Durant can do, how they can space the floor. I mean, it, there's there's horizontal spacing, there's vertical spacing. There's so many areas that I think he can get to. And then that's where, when you add in the type of knockdown shooters, like a Joe Harris, like a Seth Curry, yeah. like a Patty Mills, it could be very, very explosive. I think I saw this stat about Ben Simmons. I, I think it's in my head now because you, you bring it up. But I think he, since he's come in the league, only Russell Westbrook has more assists to made three-pointers. Yeah. And when you think about that, it's a couple of areas. Number one, Ben Simmons is very good at penetrating, you know, getting into the paint, breaking down the defense, and then he can find shooters. And then it is that transition game because the way the NBA is played now, you know, it used to be 
You got the ball up the floor quick. You fast break for a layup. Now it's you fast break for an open three. And when you think of the kind of players the Nets can be able to put on the wings that can run the floor, there'll be a lot of, all right, Ben gets a rebound, takes it off the glass, starts up the floor, and then finds Joe Harrison transition, finds Seth Curry in transition. I mean, the outlets for a guy like Ben Simmons, I mean, you said the force, Sarah. He plays with a force yeah. offensively. And I mean, this this team is really going to be, again, about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I mean, they're the stars. They're on the marquee. But I feel like the variable is really going to be, in, in terms of how high or low they can go, is is how good Ben Simmons looks. Yeah, I got you on that, Chris. Because again, I mean, we're not talking that much defense right now, but boy, he plugs so many different holes on the defensive side of the floor. And that's such a critical part of what the net success this year is going to be defensively. Think about the, if you were to pick the ideal team that Ben Simmons would have to end up on, you know, leaving the Sixers, it would be the Brooklyn Nets. It, it, it fits, and that begins defensively. It, 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 it goes through transition. It's his passing ability. It's his scoring around the basket. And uh, I think you are very right uh, that he could be the the uh, the critical variable to if the Nets are going to have the elite success this season. Well, the other thing I was going to say, too, and in, in not to deep dive too much into different lineup combinations and roster, but even think about when you're talking about pace, and that's such an important aspect of it, guys like a Nick Claxton coming in who can rim run and you get yeah. it going. The switchability of Nick and then Ben on the defensive end, the length that that brings. Some of the other players, we didn't even bring up Royce O'Neal, but another shooter that you have, TJ Warren, potentially what he looks like and no missing the last two seasons from injury. But you've got a lot of different players that if Ben does play to his strengths and that alone, the ceiling becomes higher and higher when you look yeah. at what this group can do. Yeah. And think about his strengths that we haven't talked about. The defensive side of the floor. The last year he played in the NBA, like played a full season, because we know we didn't play last season. He was a runner-up for defensive player of the year. Right. right? He's a two-time first-team all-defender. I saw this... Uh, I think I was watching a podcast and it was maybe Tracy McGrady was on, I think maybe Gilbert Arenas, somebody like that. And they were talking about, somebody mentioned Ben Simmons and, you know, this idea that, because first of all, it, when you talk about Ben Simmons, I don't know if there's a guy who is looking to regain his reputation as much as Ben Simmons, but also becoming underrated in terms of people sort of writing off right. the kind of player that he was. But they were saying how, you know, people are calling him soft and they go, no, no, no. You're not a first team all defender in this league and be considered soft. I mean, the guy is as good as it comes. And when we, I, I said I wasn't going to look back, but I'm just going to glance. A peek? Peek back to the playoffs last year and think about what was lacking. And we can, maybe that's a good segue into what did the playoffs last year teach us about what the Nets need to improve on going forward defensively, when you think about that guy that can just guard a Jason Tatum, just take the best offensive player on the other team, because a lot of these offensive players that are the best players on their team are guys with size. Right. And a player like Jason Tatum, I mean, there you go. You know, a Jimmy Butler, you know, people like that where you're going you're gonna to have to contend with and you say, all right, Ben Simmons is going to have you. 
And that's going to free up Kevin Durant. It's good. They're just going to have to work as hard on the defensive end. I mean, that ability to have a lockdown defender, guy who led the league in steals once as well, I mean, is invaluable to a team that was 20th in the league last year in defensive efficiency. Yeah, and, and he has the ability to not give up the switch. You know what I mean? Like you, you have the ability to, when teams want to come up and, and create a mismatch, Ben Simmons can fight over that screen and stay attached to the team, the opposition's best score. I, I think that's of huge importance uh, to the Nets. How are they going to play the last five minutes of games? I think the Nets are going to get in position to play with anybody in the NBA and be one of the elite teams. I, I would start on day one working on how we are defending the last five minutes of games. Also offensively, how are we playing the last five minutes of games? That is where this team is going to be determined. And the ability to not just, okay, they want to get well, Kyrie's matched up against Jason Tatum. Well, the Nets got to have the ability to say, no, we're not going to do that. You stay with him. We have different defensive techniques that just don't give up the switch and create the matchup that you want. And I, I think that's what Ben Simmons has the capability of doing, of staying attached uh, to these elite players, fighting through, and then being able to lock them down. And it's just, it's that strength. I mean, you, you brought up relieving some of that pressure or some of the wear on a Kevin Durant on that end of the floor. Think about that postseason series with the Celtics and how they they bumped and banged and rode Durant right. on every single possession, everywhere. They made sure that from, from tip that he was getting hit, knocked on every single screen he was trying to come through every time he had the ball in his hands. And that's exactly the type of thing that Simmons can do the ad of Royce O'Neal and what he can do on the defensive side. I mean, it, those type of things, even Joe Harris for it, as much as the Nets yeah. miss his three point shooting, of course, and in how much that was so functional to the way the offense operated, his size on the defensive end was something sure. that, you know, even to have that shooting. And so I think Kepper, you're, you're spot on for all of those reasons. Uh, that changed the dynamic of what you do defensively, which they're in, you know, then you can get on run. You start getting stops, and that creates more of your offense and generates that type of pace. Yeah, you can't run taking the ball out of the net. You know, you, when you got to when you got to inbound it, it's harder to run. You mentioned Joe Harris. You know, Joe wasn't there the latter part of the year, really, for the, except for the beginning of the season. They didn't have Joe Harris. Uh, the trade for James Harden brings them Seth Curry. Curry has the ankle injury late in the year. Remember, he started out so well for the Nets, and then. He, he missed time, and then he was not nearly 100% in the playoffs. Now you bring Joe Harris and Seth Curry back into the mix. It's a couple of guys that they missed in that playoff series because, you know, like we talked about how the Celtics just have all guys with size that can defend and shoot the three, and the Nets didn't have enough of that. The Nets had to always pick their poison. You know, do we go with offensive-minded players like Patty Mills or no. do we go with defensive-minded players? You know, so they always had a pick. They didn't have guys that can kind of do both. And I think when you look at who's going to complement this big three, we've mentioned already guys like Nick Claxton can guard multiple positions, right? Joe Harris has size and can shoot the three. Seth Curry has some size, not big, but he's a strong guy, can shoot the three. That should make it immediately right there. I mean, just adding those guys to the mix should make them 
so much better than they were a, a year ago. Yeah. It goes without saying that shooting and guys that can space the floor and have that type of gravity, it changes the dynamic of everything for everyone. And then when you also have the breakdown ability, I think that's something too, when Kyrie was missing the early part of the year, of course, you talked a lot about Patty Mills and the I mean, he played a career high in minutes throughout the course of the year. The Nets didn't have a lot of guys that could break you down off the dribble and get to the basket and get to the front of the cup. And when you're not putting pressure at the rim, that then allows the opposing defense to change so much of what they're doing schematically against you. And so, you know, I think for those reasons, when you have the type of shooting, but add that in with guys like a Ben, obviously like a Kyrie, uh, Kevin Cam, but they can break you down and get to the basket and create those type of lanes. To me, like even just thinking about that, that gets me excited. That gets me excited to watch. And we say that about Seth. I was looking back at some of the numbers. It's wild. His time with the Nets, and and we know he was struggling with the ankle. He shot 48% from the three-point line with Brooklyn. I mean, he was, you got guys that three-point shots are layups for them. And to think about the even more wide-open looks, the quality looks, that's the type of stuff that I think gets you enthused about when they're able to come together, what they may look like. And you know what I think, a player that we're not really haven't talked about yet that I think has a real opportunity to make a great comeback this season is T.J. Warren. I mean, you go back to the bubble. Remember he had the 50? Bubble he Bonanza. The, he had the bubble, bubble Bonanza. But even prior to that, he, he was a good, he's a very good player, a good score, a really good score. I think what's interesting is in the history of the Nets with feet over the last several years. They have a good history with feet. Now, what am I talking about? Brooke Lopez, remember, he was in position where his career was kind of in, in a lot of trouble, right? What happened? Well, he was diagnosed by the Nets doctors, hospital special surgery, uh, Martin McNally in specific, specifically. Martin O'Malley. Yeah. O'Malley, just, just testing you, Chris. And um, haven't had or haven't heard so many ba- anything about Brooke Lopez's feet. Karis LeVert had a foot problem, right? Karis LeVert had a foot problem, was on and off the floor, wasn't going to have... Well, you know, Kevin Durant, obviously with the Achilles. The Nets, people have evaluated situations for success when it's come to the feet of players. And I think that T.J. Warren might be one of the next guy. He's a stress fracture guy for a number of years. And I don't think uh, I would trust the Nets doctors that they've as much as, it. Yeah. As, as far as evaluating that determination. And I think T.J. Warren could be a really, really, really unique all-around talent. It's got size, could score a second unit, could be with the starters, could like, switch ability, and uh, wouldn't have necessarily the scoring pressure, but he can get buckets. Uh, I think it's a heck of a pickup. And it also, one of the newest Nets acquisitions, Edmund Sumner, yes. he's coming off an Achilles that Martin O'Malley did the surgery exactly. for as well. Uh, yeah, so they, they, they can look at it. They know they could talk to Martin O'Malley. He'll say, this guy's... He's worth bringing in because I think he's going to be healthy. Um, you, you mentioned, though, I think we're Warren and maybe some other guys that we're, we haven't talked about, like the Cam Thomases of the world, guys who can score. The, the Nets have had issues now when, when Kyrie wasn't there and when Kevin Durant was hurt of who carries the scoring load. And it speaks to a couple of things. I think they've got some more guys now. They've got some more depth in terms of when you, when you bring up a TJ Warren, if he can come back, where they don't have to play Kevin Durant 40 minutes a game. 
Yeah. And, and they don't have to overwork Kyrie Irving, who, as you saw, when he when he finally did get back in the lineup, I think they need, I, I know everybody hates the load management thing, and the league has done a much better job at eliminating back-to-backs and four and five nights, but I would bet they're going to manage the load on Durant, on Kyrie Irving a little more this year. And you're going to need guys that can carry offensively, guys that can just go score. And, yeah. uh, you know, we saw Patty Mills, right, wore down late in the Very year. Played too so. many minutes. And I think they're going to be, a, they're, when you have some more depth in that regard, like a TJ, you know, hey, TJ Warren, hey, Cam Thomas, just come in and get us some buckets. Just let's, right. let's ride it out so we can score while Durant and Irving are on the bench. And I think when you say load management, everyone thinks, oh, you're sitting out all these games, you're taking off games. To your point, is it's minutes. It's a minute load. Yeah. It's, you know, the type of responsibility, possession by possession, the high usage of a lot of these guys. And so when you do have that ability throughout the course of the year and in, you know, those days of December and January and February, to let different players go in and cook. And to me, that goes back to, okay, you got ball handlers, you got creators, and you have a versatility in who you want to use and how you want to use guys. And you, you said, like, Cam Thomas is someone we haven't brought up. What does he look like now getting an offseason under his belt, a year under his belt? Dayron Sharp has been putting those, those players have been in the HSS all summer, putting in a ton of work. And so I think for those reasons, it's going to be exciting when we get to training camp to see, okay, what do they look like? What jumps have they been able to make? Yeah, I, I think Dayron Sharp becomes interesting because I think if you're evaluating the Nets right now, you're saying, Got to be careful that they might be a little thin up front. Yeah. I mean, Nick Claxton is is a, a guy that could be capable of doing things. And, you know, they don't necessarily have that really big body. I mean, you know, I'm sure you could shift Ben Simmons to the five and he could play that. But can Dayron Sharp do what I think he, he can make? A, I think he can make a contribution. I'm not saying that the Nets still might not look for more bodies or a bigger body around, along the way. But I've been more than impressed. With, with the way he's come in and the way his body has changed, right? The dedication. And I remember me and Chris interviewing him prior to last year, and he, he said, you know, I can do a little bit more than they think I can do. And he can. He's a very good passer. He's a little bit more explosive than, than you think. He's a, you really got a great knack for rebounding, obviously. And if his uh, shot could be there, because spacing of the floor becomes a little bit, it starts to become sometimes an, uh, an issue in, in some of these games. And, um, you know, they might not have the perfect big, but I'm curious to see what Dayron Sharp could bring to this group. And I think Dayron showed you last year that he could be a rim protector. I think we know Nick Claxton can be a rim protector. And when those two are not on the floor, I think Kevin Durant, is an underrated rim protector. Yes. So, you know, when you, people say, well, you, you can go small, you can go with these guys. You need, no, like, they're good enough back there. And yeah, Dayron's been working on his, if you, if you saw our episode with Dayron, uh, I brought up his shooting. He's like, I can shoot. I can <laughs> shoot. And he's been working with Kyle Korber, who we know is not with the Nets anymore, but for a while there he worked with Kyle. Um, so yeah, so th yeah, there's a lot of these things that give the Nets some flexibility, give the Nets some options, right? Maybe can lessen the load a little bit on the big three. When I look at this team, though, like when you think of how they play, people talk about structure. You know, Steve Nash has kind of been the guy that's kind of let them kind of play through stuff, just play out there, not call a lot of sets and things. 
And then sometimes, though, when you get into situations, late games, you get into playoff situations, or if you don't have a Kevin Durant on the floor, that can end up working against you. Do you think we see a little bit more of a shift to more structure, system? Is that overrated? Is that you guys as being the insiders? Tell me what you think, what you see. Well, I mean, I think the Nets play a, a very, you know, they play a free-flowing five-out offense for the majority of, uh, for a lot of possessions. But they also, you know, late in games, would do a lot of down screening for um, Kevin Durant to get the ball at the foul line area. They, they, you know, they would specifically want to get the ball in a certain player's hands at certain times. So I think it's a game, late in games, there's much more structure because you want the ball and you want to provide, you want to set up the proper matchup. That's when it becomes bad down to chess match basketball. And you're trying to get the, your, your chess piece against their chess piece in a one-on-one situation that creates help or they can make a play. So I, I do think that it's kind of how the game flows. I, I mean, if things are going well and you're five out and you're going, they, they love to play that way. But certainly as the game stretches on and again, late games and uh, how that goes, I think there's uh, definitely more structure in where they want the ball, but you know, who they want the ball, uh, and the hands with and, and where they, where they should get it is really, really important. I agree, but I, I also would say with that, and we saw a lot of it, 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 that's some of the things that the playoffs expose when you have coaching staffs that have the ability to scout in an extended period of time and what adjustments you're making. So I think some of it too comes from, okay, how are we able to make these in-game adjustments? When teams yeah, start call. to throw junk defenses at us, when teams start to, you know, Double team Kevin and or they're double teaming Kyrie. If one's on the, who, who, what are we doing? That's where I think the the shooting obviously changes the dynamic of what happens. Um, but when teams start to get savvy or use more exotic looking defenses on these players to try and slow them down, do we have different sets or different circumstances, wrinkles we can run to combat that? Because you know who you you, you know where you want the ball, uh, but what are teams going to try and do? And I think you see that in the regular season, but also in the bigger games. And when you're thinking about, okay, how are we prepping ourselves, not just for the regular season, but for the playoffs as well. And I think to more systematically and structure, that's where the defense of what Capra was talking about, the defensive factor, making sure a defensive event, everyone's got to know their roles, exactly where they need to be, exactly on the floor, how that works, some of the gaps you're covering up for, who you're trying to help a little bit more, shade more on the defensive side. And that's where I think just a training camp, having these guys in play. I mean, after the, there were so many moving parts to the lineup and to the roster last season and throughout the course of the season, you're doing a lot of that on the fly. So that's where I'm really interested to sit and watch, okay, what's this going to look like when you have, and knock on wood, hopefully everyone stays healthy. Um, but when you have a look at your lineup, you have some time, you have a, a opportunity to implement things with players that will likely be in the lineup and what that looks like. You know what I think is going to be interesting? I, I think there's got to be, at least in my mind, and I think that probably hopefully in the player's mind, coach's mind, everybody, I think it's a different mentality this year that the Nets have to have. I, I think last few years, you're starting to think of the greatness of the Nets and you and you tend to see where in the preseason, even last year about this time, well, it'd be the Nets and the Lakers. And, you know, that, that that's kind of, they got the most talent and these are the teams that are the best. I, I think the mentality is of critical importance now that of every time they step on the floor to practice and every 
detail that they're going over and the intensity with which they are working is not, it has to be at exactly 100%. And, and I mean that because of total respect for the opposition right now. What I, what's fascinated me over the last few years is the improvement in the Eastern Conference. If the, if the Nets are not ready to defend at a much higher level, to not compete and dig in and find themselves, I'm talking every day in camp and every drill and everything they're doing. Well, you know something? It's not going to be good enough. It just isn't. Milwaukee's too good. Boston's too good. Philadelphia's too good. Cleveland. You just go down. used to be for years when we were doing this job, we talk about the Western Conference and then it'd be two or three teams in the East. And if you're one of those teams, well, we'll throw it. Right, make a coin flip. We'll see who's good. I, I don't feel that way right now. There's no. no margin for error, not just in games. There's no margin for error in everything that the Nets do every single day that they are part of this basketball team this season. Think about Atlanta. Think about Charlotte. Chicago. You know, Charlotte. Chicago. I mean, Toronto's always going to be Toronto. in the I mean, you, I mean, you've already, we've already gone eight you. teams. Miami. They'll beat you. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. And last year, I mean, Steve Nash used to tell us all the time, right? How many times did he say when, when they knew they weren't going to have Kyrie Irving, it was like the team needed to have a, an underdog mentality. And I think when it comes down to leadership too, guys, I mean, listen, we can talk about trading for Royce O'Neal and another you know, two-way player and TJ Warren, what he can give you. And, and uh, you know, we could say the, the second year guys, are they going to develop? And, you know, having Joe Harris and Seth Curry back, this is still Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's team. They were, they were brought here and they, they immediately figured, hey, we're going we're gonna to be a championship contender. This is their team. They have to be the leaders. They have to set the tone and they have to hold everybody accountable. And, you know, we could talk about everybody till we're blue in the face. It's still Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that it comes down to. I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree. And yeah, I, 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 again, I, I left think you guys, it's a, I left two analysts speechless for a moment. <laughs> preach. Yeah, no, yeah, you're just like I was. Yeah, I had the robe on. I was. Right, and yeah, 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 drop the mic. The um, uh, you know, I just you know think we it's saying, a different. Yeah, yeah. Mi- I think it's just again a different mind. I think it's imperative that they have a different. Uh, it's a different mindset this year. I think there's a different way that people are looking at the Brooklyn Nets from afar. They're looking at individuals. They're looking at the team. And I think they've got something to prove right now. And I think that's how they've got to go about their business every single night. And they should have that be a goal. I mean, you look at the players, you look at the talent. They, they should have championship aspirations. But we know it, in this league and just the concept of winning, so much comes down to chemistry. So much comes down to the, the synergy of a group. And that's on the floor. That's off the floor. That's how you're able to go through some of those highs and lows because that it, it naturally is going to happen throughout the course of the season because the groups that find the most success, the groups that are the most successful are the ones that figure out ways to create that chemistry. And sometimes it's organic, but sometimes it also just takes, to your point, Capper, the the ability to actually put that much effort into it and to understand it's a day-to-day thing. Yeah, and and sometimes you know, think talent can get you through, and chemistry is really for the tough times. You know, when things are going well, everybody's doing great; it's fine. You don't need to like each other, but 
when you go through hard times, that's when you need to kind of come together and and we'll see. I mean, that's a that's a that's a variable that it's impossible to figure out early on. I didn't think the Nets had great chemistry last year. And training camp and the preseason is going to be used a lot of times to see if there's somebody else. Who else can be that guy that that comes in? You know, is is Kessler Edwards making another jump from where he was last year? We talked about Dayron Sharp. How many years, Capra, have we said, man, the Nets could use a Morris brother? Like, yes. they, like, one of them. Yeah. Either Marcus or Markeith. Like, a guy, a stretch four, so a guy with some size that can shoot threes and, and has a little edge, has a little toughness. You know, yeah. a guy that's not going to let you push his guys around, who's going to get in your face a little bit. Who's not going to be, you know, uh, high yeah. five in the other team? Like, yeah. and I don't know. And Mark Keith doesn't have a guaranteed contract, and he's going to be trying to make this team. But could he be a leader on this yeah, team? Yeah, that's a good call. I'm, I'm upset we didn't bring him up earlier because you know we always say you can't have all milk and cookie guys. You know, you, yeah. you, you gotta. You Remember gotta the great teams that we covered when you started, Capper had Kenyon Martin, that type of guy. Yeah. I'm not looking for Mark Keith to be Kenyon Martin, but a guy that you know was going to. He would, he would throw his own player in a locker the same way as he... And then if you mess with that guy he'll, on the other team, he, he'll throw that guy into the basket stanchion. And, and has a knack, though. He can also make a yes. shot. He can make a play. Uh, could be an interesting pickup. But you're right. They, they need a guy in that role that uh, feels good about himself, uh, is happy if it's a limited role, and uh, he could be a, a, a contributor. I'm anxious to see what he brings. Because that's where I think with training camp, like the concept of the competitiveness that will come from that enable this group able to use that to their advantage, their benefit, not just in training camp, but throughout the course of the season. And I think when when that type of competitiveness for playing time for positions, but is a collaborative type of thing and you're doing it and channeling it in a positive way to help make the group better. That those are the things you watch for. If this is if it's players that that will continue to keep them hungry and keep them motivated and keep them working every day to get better. Now, the one thing when you're when you're playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on your team, like you talk about guys competing for positions and knowing what their role is. Like I mean, this is like a it, it, you. I think of a guy like Cam Thomas, and you think, all right, well, you know, here's a guy who's always out to look like he can prove that he can score. But you've got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They're the guys that are going to have the ball. They're the guys that are going to score. Everybody else on the team is competing to be one of the pips, right? Gladys Knight and the pips, right? They're competing to be one of the background singers. And I don't need you to show, if, if, if you're a background singer and you start to to raise your voice or you start to go uh, and, and sing in a different, uh, to a different beat, like than the other one. No, that's <laughs> not, I'm going to take you out of the chorus right now. And it's like, these guys have an opportunity. I'm thinking of the Royce O'Neal's, the TJ Warren's, the Cam Thomas, we mentioned the Kessler Edwards, you know, even Joe Harris, Steph Curry, you know, what roles are up for grabs. There's no way. I mean, there may be somebody in this team that I've mentioned that is could be a, a lead singer, but it ain't going to be on this team. So don't yeah. try to be. Just be as Doc Rivers always said, be a star in your role. And these guys at least have something to shoot for. They know, all right, I know I can be a 
15 minute a game guy who can who can who can shoot threes, who can come off screens, who can defend hard. Like I know what my role can be. Pete Carroll used to have he would always have um with the Seahawks head coach every Wednesday's competition Wednesday. So in practice, he says nobody's job is safe here. Every Wednesday we go out and you compete for your position. And I think to what you were saying before, Capper, about practice and developing habits and competing. And and then knowing that it's Durant and Kyrie Irving, and the thing that makes them great is they're always going to be great. And they're always going to work hard. But everybody else has got to support that and and really compete for those roles. And if you do that, this can be a special team. It has the potential. I mean, that's a tough word to use, though. It has the potential. Yeah. And again, I, I go I go back to the just it just feels different this year. It feels like a different attitude and approach that the Nets have to have. And uh, it, it, nothing's good. Obviously, nothing's given. And the amount of respect you but you should have for your opponents in this Eastern Conference, yeah. I think is 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 really immense. I think you, re- you really have to, you know, we're talking about Kevin Durant, but we're also talking about, you know, Giannis is on one of these teams. Joel Embiid is on one of these other teams. You know, I mean, there's, there's some awful good players, you know, bopping around here. Uh, Jason Tatum's turned into an elite player. Uh, Boston was one of the great for 30 games last year. Boston was one of the best teams that the NBA had seen yeah. in a long, long time. And, uh, and went to the finals and probably and went to the won, finals. you know, had to have a lead on the home floor. If 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 you're taking if you're taking a possession off, somebody else in the conference isn't during training camp, and uh, that that'll come back and bite you. Yeah, they got to keep progressing and getting better and better and better. Certainly on the defensive side, with an and, and a, and a rebounding mentality that's got to really carry them through through the season. Well, finally, you know, let's let's kind of wrap here in, in terms of. Anything else you might be looking forward to uh, seeing in training camp? I know we'll, we'll definitely have a discussion again. You guys are, uh, you'll probably be the most frequent guests here on the, the Voice of the Nets podcast as we, I look to you for your insight. Nobody knows the team better than Tim Capstraw and Sarah Kustak. Even if we do more long form stuff with other people, we'll always kind of have you guys in, to, you know, give us your assessment of what's going on weekly here or, you know, every once in a while. Um, Sarah, when you're, when you're starting to look for training camp, what, what, what's standing out to you as we get ready for this time of year? I think we've went through all of the, you know, our antennas up of looking at the combination of Durant, Kyrie, Ben, what Ben looks like coming from the surgery. Same goes with Seth Curry and Joe Harris. Uh, some of these new players, all, all of that to me is obvious. We've talked a lot about chemistry. We've talked a lot about the integration of players on the floor. I'm really curious to watch, and I know we touched on a little bit the the systems and schemes, but Steve Nash and his coaching staff, because there's new members of the coaching staff as well. And I think anytime um, you're trying to come together as a group and a staff, I'm interested to see what, what new things are implemented. What's their philosophy on both ends of the floor? What changes with the changing personnel? And also just Nash getting an opportunity here to, you know, now in his third year, entering his third year, the first two years certainly have been met with a a whole lot of challenges and uniqueness for any rookie head coach and then second year head coach. So how has he grown 
in this role? And what does it look like with some of these new members? I'm I'm just interested to see that and just the, the command he has um, with this group. And in to me, that's such a, a important part of what this team becomes, um, not just these players on the floor, but also the staff and, and how they're being organized and directed. I think that's a really good point. I, you know, we didn't talk that much about the coaching aspect of it, but it's going to be a huge factor. Every time I've ever spoken to him, I've been blown away with his knowledge. I hope that that knowledge and that intensity and that focus, uh, I, I think it's at a level right now where he's, he's learned on the job. And I think this entire coaching staff can take it to another level with this group. Well, guys, this is a great little primer for uh, for training camp and you know media day is going to be interesting. That'll be coming up. Uh, I really appreciate you guys joining us. Remember to subscribe to the Voice of the Nets podcast. We're going to start coming to you weekly once uh, we get past training camp. So, and and Sarah Kustak and and of course the capper Tim Capstraw, my go tos on uh, insight on this team, guys. Here we go, right? Buckle up. I get excited. I get a little anxious at this time of year, right? The season's changing. We're getting to go. We know our life now revolves around the schedule for the next six months, but uh, I can't wait to be out there with you guys. We're flying in a V right now. On the V. We're getting the V formation. We'll get Bird with us in the V as well. And uh, we'll talk to you guys. Thank you. That's Sarah Kustak, the capper, Tim Capstraw. I'm Chris Carino. This has been the voice of the Nets. We'll talk to you soon. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.